There we go. Would you join me as we read together 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, be reading verses 14 through 19 today as we continue our studies, our series in Timothy, Essentials for Disciples, holding on while passing on the good news. Hear God's word. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we bow in your presence, and we need you to open up our hearts to receive your hope, the good news of life everlasting in Christ, so that we can be approved workmen to share that news well. Lord, let it be so. Speak to us. Meet the needs of every person here today, we pray, for your honor and glory. Fill us, we ask. Amen. It's not good to brag about yourself, but sometimes you just have to. So I'm going to do that. I want you to know that I'm approved. All right? (laughs) Every time I put my credit card in the machine this week, the little box said approved. (laughs) And Leslie, I want you to know that, (laughs) that I'm approved. (laughs) Even when you don't approve of everything that I do wrong. But all kidding aside, It's essential if we claim to be a follower of Christ, a lover of God, one who loves to see his return, wants him to come back, that we need to be approved workers, that we need to understand what it means not to be ashamed of Christ. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed. You know, if we were to isolate that verse and, and, and kind of ignore everything else, it might look like Paul's contradicting himself because in other places he has written that no one can stand approved before God. And yet here he says, present yourself as one approved. So what's he saying here? Is he contradicting himself? Is he saying, Matt, you better beef up your resume so when you stand before God, the the good works of your life uh, outweigh the bad and and God will approve? Well, we need to understand a a key phrase this morning, and I want to take a few minutes to just go there. I flew over it last week. In 2 Timothy verse 1, it says, you, my son, be strong that's in the, gra- in the grace in Christ Jesus. 
That phrase, in Christ Jesus, is important for us to know and understand for ourselves so we can explain what it means to be in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, Paul wrote 47 times in his letters, seven times in 2 Timothy, so I know it's important for us to know. It will change the way you view who you are if you are in Christ, if you understand it. It will change the way you look at other people who are not yet in Christ, but that God may be calling to be with him. There's a life-changing statement, and I used one of my long-distance mentors to help me just to explain it this morning. His name's John Piper. And he is a great guy who knows how to explain grace and forgiveness and the good news that comes to us in Christ. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 8. And by the way, Brother David Mingle is going to be unpacking this whole chapter through the summer. And it should be a great study. But look at verse 1 of chapter 8 or listen with me. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now... Let me start over again. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the verdict. That is a truth that God says, that Paul has written for us, that if we are in Christ, we have no, nothing to fear, no condemnation. So, as John Piper says, if in Christ means you don't, have to fear standing before God because you will not be condemned if you are in him, then we better find out what it means to be and understand what it means to be in Christ. It means you're united with Christ. Do you believe your sins separate you from God? Well, they do. So to stand before God without fear, you need God's grace to cleanse you, God's forgiveness, God's goodness to remove your guilt. And that is a work of God. So from Romans 8, we go quickly to Romans chapter 6 because it explains what it means to be in Christ. Verse 3 or don't, of chapter 6 of Romans, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. I just read a lot. But understand that that is all a work of God. It's the unconscious work of God. We may not be aware of it, but the Holy Spirit, when someone believes that Jesus is the Savior, that he died for their sins, that they need forgiveness, that they're guilty, when the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to embrace that truth, we are now united with Christ, connected to Christ. We are in Christ, and it's as though when Christ died, we died with him, and we were in the grave with him. And you know, dead people don't sin. 
That's kind of a neat truth. Now, they suffer the consequences of their sin. That's why they're dead. Jesus died physically, but he also died spiritually. When he died on the cross, there's a mysterious transaction that happened. He was separated from God the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he suffered not only the physical death that we deserve, but he suffered a separation from God and his goodness and his life. And I don't we don't understand what happened there, but there was a spiritual separation that happened between God the Son and God the Father in that moment on the cross, and he took the weight of all our guilt and our, the separation from God that we deserved on himself. So in Christ, if we believe in him, we are identified with him. The Holy Spirit buries us with Christ, but Christ did not stay in the grave. He was raised to life so that if we are in Christ, we're raised to life too, no longer to sin, but to do what? To serve God the way Christ does because we are in Christ. And it's a work of God that he does that we have nothing to do with. And our physical baptism, when we go under the water, is a perfect picture of that. We're dead. And when we come back up, gasping for breath, We're cleansed, a picture of being cleansed and alive to a new life in Christ. That's the work of God. That's what it means to be in Christ. Maybe you already knew that truth, but it's so good to review it because we need to be able to explain it if there's someone we know that doesn't understand what it means to be identified, united with Christ. But we have to make a decision to believe, and that's the conscious work. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's that in Christ again. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. So we're united with God in his death and then in his resurrection. And God, the Spirit, opens our minds to that truth. But we must believe it. God doesn't bypass your mind and your will. You don't put a Bible under your pillow at night and go to sleep and wake up in the morning and say, I'm in Christ. It doesn't work that way. No, you have to hear the truth of the Bible. Someone has to speak it. You have to read it. Someone has to proclaim the truth, and the Spirit uses God's words as a testimony to your soul, to your heart, that it's true that you're a sinner, that you are guilty, and that you need to be saved. And when you hear that and you believe it, that's a work of God, and it's all from God. And Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made Made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that were against us, that stood opposed to us, and he took it away, nailing, nailing it to the cross. Another way of saying the gospel. I spent a lot of time there because I just wanted to be clear that you need to be in Christ. 
It's more than just knowing about Christ, but actually letting God, believing what's true and receiving it for yourself. I pray that if it's not clear, that the Holy Spirit's beginning to make it clear for us so that we can stand approved before God. Because I cannot be an approved workman for God until I'm in Christ, first things first. But let's move on. Now that it, let's assume we are in Christ, now we can be an approved worker. Let me go back to 2 Timothy now. We've been in Romans and our verses today. Keep reminding them of these things, and Paul's speaking to Timothy. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best. Now that you are in Christ, Timothy, now that you know about salvation and you've believed salvation, God has changed you and saved you and, and reconciled you. All these big Bible words we use has made you whole, has given you shalom, peace with God. You can present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best because God's gift of grace, his goodness, has given you a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. You can be strong in the grace. You can make disciples. You can be a mentor. We can endure like a soldier, like an athlete, like a hardworking farmer. Someone who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Notice in the outline I have cut straight. What's your life? And that's what that word there, it's a unique word in the Greek, correctly handles the word of truth. Correctly handles is a word that means to cut straight. So in other words, cut a straight line. And I love what John Stott said about that. He says the results are of cutting a straight line, like making a road. You know how a surveyor would lay out and cut a straight line for a road? So the path is easy to find and to follow to Christ. So let your life cut a straight line that points people to the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. As an approved workman, doesn't say study to show yourself approved, by the way. Sometimes we get student, but that's part of it. But think of a craftsman. Someone who presents their work, whether it's carpentry or jewelry making or metal work or stone work or, uh, that's masonry, right? Um, or sewing or cooking or crunching the numbers or raising your kids and organizing the home, wherever we are, present your work as an approved workman, something you don't need to be ashamed of. And part of that is presenting the gospel with the right attitude. Do you notice, maybe it's subtle, but in verse 14 it says, warn them before God against quarreling. A little bit later, it says, don't be arguing or uh, do your best. Avoid godless, excuse me, avoid godless chatter. It has to do with attitude and the way we speak to one another. Godless chatter takes you downward on a downward spiritual spiral. It makes you ungodly. It's a negative progression, and the word there connects us to 1 Timothy. Let me read 1 Timothy 4. 
Verse 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Cut straight. What's your life, Timothy? What's your attitudes? Your speech. How you love people. In your faith and in purity. Be diligent in these matters. That's positive progress. That is godly behavior. Next week, we're going to take a quick look at what happens when godless chatter and quarreling invade the people of God's community. Approved workers cut straight. They watch their life and their teaching. Watch your life and doctrine closely, Timothy. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. How we live, how I live, how I speak, how I interact with my family and the waitresses and the cashiers and my neighbors and my coworkers all affects the gospel. And if it's Received well from cutting a straight line so people can see God's truth and find it easily. Do you remember when did Jesus get righteously angry at people? He got angry at the people who claimed to be in God. And they weren't. Seven woes. Dare I read them? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say that if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath, you blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, 
You are like whitewashed tombs who look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. You snakes, you brood of vipers. And then he goes on to say, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as hens gather their chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. We don't need to make that mistake. I wonder if we have blocked the way for people to know Christ. Have we used our doctrine to beat people down, what we believe, what we know is true, or to raise them up? Have we opened doors or shut doors? We would think that we aren't as guilty as they, but we need to examine our hearts. To pray with David, search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Would I dare humble myself before you and admit before God and then my brothers and sisters what I've done? Wow. But what would God do for us and with us and through us if we would? I'm greatly encouraged by Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 4. Let me read it. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And here's what I love, verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Boy, if Paul, the apostle, asked for prayer so that he could proclaim the gospel clearly as he should, I know that I need to pray that prayer and ask people to pray for me that I would proclaim God's truth in a clear way, that I would cut straight, not only with my words, my teaching, which is a focus of this, this teaching in, in 2 Timothy, but also with our lives. Help me to proclaim it. Help us to proclaim it as clearly as we should like Timothy, like the Colossian Christians, we need grace all the time to proclaim it clearly as we should. Are you an approved worker? Well, you are if you are in Christ, and now you have God's gifts of goodness, his grace, to proclaim it clearly and to take care of business and make sure you're improving, progressing in your faith, in your godliness, in your speech, and your conduct and purity. We can do it because of Christ's help. In Christ, point three, Mark, we are approved workers. We have strength for all that is ahead. This is for graduates of 2018, and this is for graduates of in 1918, and everyone in between. I think I got everybody covered. And for you graduates, soon to be, and if there's a first grader here today, I think it's 2035 class. 
you do the math, that's about right. If they're one year, well, first graders, no, that would only be 11 years. So. One-year-olds are 2035 if they graduate when they're 18. Isn't that something to think about? I wonder where I'll be if I'm even here. We have strength for all that is ahead. I referred to Moses last week, and I go back to him because I love his story. Stephen, we mentioned him last week in his uh, in his sermon in Acts chapter 7, mentioned that God said, I'm going to come down and deliver my people. Moses, I need you to go. So he was sent. In Exodus chapter 3, we read this. Moses sees the burning bush and he walks up to it. In verse 5, God spoke to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And that was a good thing to do. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land. And then in verse 10 he says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So we have a holy God calling Moses to go, and he's sending Moses. Moses has a commission, and then Moses says, but who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And who are we to go out into our world and say, God wants to deliver you? Who am I? Who are you to go into our schools, our dorm rooms, our places of employment, our world, and tell others of Christ's deliverance? And Moses is making an excuse. Who am I? I feel so small. And God said, I will go with you. I would love to sit down to the table and talk about this, because have you ever thought about what Moses did after God said, I'm going to go with you? He still argued with them. I don't talk well. No one's going to believe me. He had four huge excuses. Not only does God go with us, but Jesus says in John 17, he prays that God the Father and himself would be where? In us. We are in Christ, and he is in us. He's not just with us. He's living in us, and he goes with us. Why would Moses, after God said, I will go with you, still not want to go? And what changed his mind to go? The presence of God himself. Was Paul's life, the Apostle Paul's life, better before he was in Christ or after he was in Christ? 
Well, from a world point of view, it was worse. He had everything before he was in Christ. And then he lost it all and suffered and was beaten and was imprisoned and he lost his life for following Christ. What changed his mind so much that he would be sitting in a prison cell facing death, soon to die, and tell Timothy, join with me in suffering? Is he crazy? Or does he know something? That what Moses figured out that the riches of Egypt that he let go was nothing compared to knowing God, walking with God and serving God. Graduates, I wish that your life would be perfect and a blessing and you'd only be happy for the rest of your lives. But if you're going to follow Christ, and if you're going to be godly, it's not going to be that way. But it's worth it. Because God is there at the end. And he will walk with you to the end, and it'll be worth the glories. We'll erase everything that we've suffered now because we love God. Do you believe that? I want you to know it's worth it. But just understand that this world has nothing but trouble. But it's great, too. (laughs) Because of God's goodness and grace. By faith in Christ, we are united with Christ, and we are in him, and he is in us, and we will never die. And by his power and grace, we can go out with confidence and live our lives and we can have joy and we can celebrate life and birth and marriage and all these wonderful things, but it's still hard if you're going to follow Christ. But it is worth it because if we live godly lives, if we're approved workmen, then others will share in that kingdom as well. And it will be worth it. That's God's will. That's God's calling in our lives. And we need to strive to be good workmen. Let's pray. Youth, you need to come up. Lord God, we pray today that you would help us to be approved workmen by your goodness and grace, by your presence in our lives. Lead us, direct us, guide us, strengthen us. It's all of you. Bring glory to yourself. Lord, help us to celebrate your love, your forgiveness, your mercy, so that others can see a clear path to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing my hope.